Okay, guys, today uh, we talk about Shekinah, uh, and uh, uh, we've been talking about that for the last six days. Today is the seventh day. And so um, today we're going to talk about uh, trying to figure out who God is in this revival. It is good to know who God is striding the revival as. As in, who is he striding this revival as? Who is he uh, walking in this revival as? Because once you know who God is in this revival, you will know the dominant fruit of this revival after it's over. Hear me again. Once you know who God is in this revival, who's he appearing as? What is his uh, predominant nature or persona in this revival? If you identify that, then you are able to tell the dominant fruit of this revival after it is over. You'll begin to f- figure out when this revival is over, be it one year or two years or three years across the earth, what will be the fruit? What will be produced? Will we produce a generation of worshippers? Will we produce a generation of warriors? Will we produce those that just excel in signs and wonders? What will be the fruit of a revival is often determined by who God is appearing as or striding in this revival as. And so I want to say to you that this particular revival among the teens, the 20s and the 30s, predominantly among the young, even though there'll be many old that are affected, predominantly among the young, God is striding this revival. And why do I use the word striding this revival? I almost see it um, like a wave and, or, 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 or a storm cloud, but striding over it or striding upon it is God. And when you look at him, you realize, ah, shucks. So that's who you're coming as. That's how you're striding this revival. And if that is the case, we know the fruit of this revival after it's done. We know what will come out. We know the generation that will appear, what they look like. And God is striding this revival as purifier. As purifier. That's how he's striding this revival. So he's, he, he, he's appearing as one who purifies in this revival. In some revivals, he appears as a harvester. In other revivals, he appears as one who uh, is worthy of worship. And you'll always find that after those revivals, there'll be a tremendous harvest of souls who then have to be raised. Or there'll be a tremendous harvest of a generation of worshippers. But in this case, it'll be one's that are in their teens, 20s, and 30s, a generation, a generation who will be, I love this, God-seers and ancient gate-openers because of their love for Blazing purity. These will be Daniel-like, Joseph-like people who in the midst of Babylon and Egypt know how to walk with clean hands and pure hearts. 
Hallelujah. Think of a generation like that. It's been a long time, guys. It's been a long time. A generation of God-seers. What do you mean God-seers? God-seers as in Matthew 5, verse 4 or 6, so I'm not too sure. Just Blessed are those that are pure, for they shall see God. These will be God-seers. They won't be ones who have to sit for long to figure God out because they walk in such purity that the proximity of God is very normal for them. Like I've always said, intimacy, the, 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 purity is the proof of your intimacy. And it intimidates the devil. These will be God-seers and they'll be ancient gate openers. That's from, Matthew, that's from Psalm 24. Verse 3 to 6. Psalm 24, 3 to 6. Psalm 24, 3 to 6. Let me read from the message. Psalm 24, 3 to 6. It says, Who can climb Mount God? I love that. Not the mountain of God. Who can climb Mount God? Who can scale the holy north face? Only the clean-handed, only the pure-hearted. Men who won't cheat, women who won't seduce. God is at their side. With God's help, they make it. This, Jacob, is what happens. Actually, it says it, eh? This, Jacob, is what happens to God-seekers, God-questers. Wake up, you sleepyhead city. Wake up, you sleepyhead people. King glory is ready to enter. That I prefer as lift up you doors. Lift up you ancient gates for the king of glory now enters. This is what I am looking forward to. This is who God is appearing as. I want you to just receive it in your heart. That this is what we are looking for. We are not looking for another uh, 50,000 people worshipping. Nothing wrong with that. We're not looking for another generation of short-term missionaries. We are looking for, because God is raising them, we are looking for a generation. A generation who at present are in their teens, their 20s, their 30s, who will be God-seers because Blessed are the poor, for they shall see God, who will be ancient gate openers because they know how to climb the mountain of God and they love blazing purity in a world that is just soaked and marinated in seduction and porn and pride and impurity and pleasures that are becoming Christianized so that they are acceptable. There'll be a generation that suddenly appears on earth. There'll be a plumb line, man. Can you imagine what that's going to do for the next 70, 80 years? Do you realize what God is about? Do you realize what he's doing? We said on the first Shekinah teaching that the reason God sends a revival is to avert disaster and to raise up leaders and reform the generations ahead. He's smart, man. Our God is smart. He's brilliant.
Whew. These ones will be able to open ancient doors, open ancient gates, so that the king of glory may be evident through their lives and through their words and works. I'm telling you, man, scriptures like Isaiah 60 verse 1 are so real. Arise and shine for your light has come, for the glory of the Lord has risen upon you in a time of great darkness. Greater is the light. God who is brilliant has already seen and he's moving ahead. Hang on to his coattails, guys. It'll be the ride of your lifetime. One of the scriptures that is key to um, helping us um, plot the course with God in this revival is Malachi 3.3. Malachi 3.3. It's a key scripture that will help us uh, plot our course with God in this revival. The words are very deliberate. It's not that we are plotting the course, it is God has plotted the course, but if we understand the scripture, we will know how to plot our course with him. Malachi 3.3. Malachi 3.3. I'm reading from the ESV. Malachi 3.3. And here's what it says. Or read from the NIV. No, ESV. Uh, Yeah, ESV is fine. Yeah. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. Just read it a couple of times while I erase what's on the board. I can't hear you. It's a key scripture. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. One of the things, uh, the word sit there is very deliberate. It is this idea of a silversmith sitting over the fire. He isn't roaming around. God will watch over this revival, eh? A a silversmith cannot afford to get up and leave the silver that is being refined. He cannot afford it. He has to sit over it. He will sit over it. And so it's best that we sit with him. And there'll be times when we are in the fire too. He will sit with. He will sit over. And he will be a purifier. He'll be a purifier. This is something God will continuously do. If we thought we've reached anywhere in God, God, good news for you. Got long ways to go. A lot of smelting to do. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi. Purify the sons of Levi. We'll talk about this scripture in the future, but I just want you to be aware of it. Purify the sons of Levi like gold and silver, and then they'll bring their offerings and righteousness to the Lord. So we are talking about a fire that purifies, a fire that purifies. This revival has a fire that purifies. We are looking at a generation that will have this strange love for blazing purity. Man, it'll be so amazing, so amazing. This has happened before, guys. 
This has happened before. It's not the first time around. Someone, uh, I was reading an article where they ask a silversmith, how do you know when silver is refined? I loved the silversmith's answer. They asked the silversmith, how do you know silver is refined? The silversmith said, that's easy. I know it's refined when I see my image reflected in it. That's easy. I know it's refined when I see my image reflected in it. What is happening will happening, happen on two levels. One, it'll happen to us. Two, it'll happen through us. And three, it'll happen without us to others. But if we lose a handle on who he is in this um, um, revival, if we lose a handle on the fact that uh, this is something he wants to do, he sits over and refines, then we lose the plot, eh? Please, it's not about us, it's about so many future generations. It's like a plumb line. How is purity brought about in a revival? Purity is intimately connected to theological substance or truth. Purity is intimately connected to theological substance or truth. I would suggest that you pursue this above everything else. Pursue this above destiny. Pursue this above adventure. Pursue this above projects. Pursue this above any and everything else. Should you ever leave this city? Should you ever leave and have to go somewhere else? Find a place where this is present because otherwise you will miss out. Be less concerned with destiny. Be more concerned with theological substance or truth because throughout the Bible... Purity is intimately related to theological substance. This is what Zechariah 9.7, hey Sheldon, this is what Zechariah 9.7 talks about. Uh, that's part of the prophetic word that we read every day. It says, the young men shall eat grain and the young women shall drink new wine. It is this idea of substance, of truth, both in terms of the word and the spirit. All these points I'll elaborate in the future. One of my dreams is, I believe it's something that God will bring to pass at some point. One of my dreams is that we have a place where people from other parts of the world, other parts of the country, other parts of the city can come and be taught the truth. Not, not in terms of Bible college kind of theology, but taught the truth so they can go out and live it. And we can get Miguel from South America. We can get Ginteris from Lithuania. We can get Paul from South Africa. We can get all these people to come and spend six to eight months here. Go back, not full of the truth, but go back ignited by the truth the happy, with happy feet. Guys, most revivals have brilliant experiences, but in this particular revival, God is saying it is more important that you begin to 
root yourself in truth and in substance than the brilliant experience of God. Otherwise, the energy of this revival will be contained and its fruit will not last. Let me say that again. Every revival has brilliant experiences in God, like the red jacket story. I mean, it is brilliant. I, I heard it the first time yesterday and I thought, oh, shucks, man. Oh, shucks is my definition for everything brilliant. Uh, and so, and yet God is saying, listen, what I want is that you be rooted in the truth through this revival so that I can have you rooted in it, have others rooted through you in it, and when it happens to others, you'll be in a position to handle it. And the reason he wants it done that way is because he wants us to focus on the truth, not just the brilliant experience of God. Otherwise, the energy and the life of this revival will be contained and the fruit will not last. I couldn't care less. Really, I mean it in all sincerity. I couldn't care less about how Acts 29 now shapes up. I think we've gotten to a place where if all of us scattered, something would come out of it. I'm more now about Ashak's father. What are you going to do in the world? How can we walk with you in the world? How much more do you need to be taught, guys? How much more do I need to be taught? How much? I, I, mean, I, I mean, teaching is right up till here, right? It's still blooming 90 minutes sometimes. How much more teaching can we handle? Now it's time to... <laughs> Even Phoebe is getting tired. <laughs> so, but it's brilliant teaching, eh? One has to admit. Um, but <laughs> moving on. The point being, be rooted in truth, not in just brilliant experiences. And we'll be able to both um, see the fruit of this revival last. When I am 70 or 75, to be able to see 14-year-olds that I prayed for, that we prayed for, 20-year-olds will then be 40, walking with blazing purity. Watching as Evan is interviewed, as Jillian is interviewed, and they're asked about, what happened? What happened in 2021? Like people in the island of Lewis, Isle of Lewis were uh, interviewed. They were asked, what happened? And whenever they were asked, they could hardly speak they just trembled because there were no words to explain what happened. Many times during the day I think, Father, what if this is really you? <laughs> I know that sounds like such a faithless statement, but it boggles my mind. What if this is really you? What's going to happen? He's coming as a purifier. I'm going to ask Emily to come and pray into that right now.
just come and my heart is so full of like wonder and awe that you reveal to us how you're coming in this revival. Mm. Father, I'm so grateful that you have spoken so clearly about how you want to show up and what we can expect and what we need to work towards, how we need to position ourselves. Mm. Father, you've done all of the work for us. We just yeah. need to obey. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Lord, I... Yeah, I just want to give you praise. I want to give you honor and glory for that. Thank you, Abba. Thank you that you yeah. speak clearly. Thank you that you've been guiding us. Yeah. Thank you that you um, that you are so much more invested in this than we are. <laughs> that Thank as much as we're excited about it, God, you are so, so much more excited because you actually see what's coming. You actually know what's coming, and we only catch small glimpses here and there. But, yeah. um, Father, we're so excited. So, Lord, um, I just want to pray into what Jacob just spoke, that you are going to come as a purifier and that you'll be raising up a generation Hallelujah. who can walk in blazing purity, Hallelujah. God, who can open up ancient doors because their hands are clean, their hearts are pure. Father, isn't this what, isn't this what you get excited about? <laughs> that you can raise up a generation of people who can open doors that have been shut, who can, who can represent you to the world, who can shine with blazing purity, Father. I just want to pray into this, Lord. I want to, um, like we were doing earlier, Father, I want to call out the people. Yeah. I want to call them out then just uh, that they would be clothed in your purity, that they would be washed through by your spirit, that your refining fire would completely purify them, Father. And um, may, they, may there be such an excitement to be able to see you reflected in them. Um, I'm just gripped by the image of the, um, of the silversmith, knowing when something is refined because like, you can see its image. So, Father, may this be something that catches all of our hearts first, God, that we want to see you reflected in us. We want to see you reflected in us, God. We want to be refined by you, Father. We want your refining fire to come. We want to be grounded and rooted in your truth. More than seeing your brilliance, Father, we want to chase after your truth because that's what you've told us to do. That's what you've said is the right way to go, and we want to walk in it. So, Father, I, um, I thank you for what you're doing. I pray that you would, you would come and that you would refine us, that you would open our eyes to see the others that you are refining that you would give us the knowledge for what, um, for how we need to show up for them, God. That you would strengthen, that you would strengthen our arms and broaden our shoulders to carry the work that you're already up to, God. In your name, Amen. If it's a fire that purifies, it's also a fire that can expose and consume. If it's a fire that purifies, it's also a fire that can expose and consume. Uh, we started this whole thing with the idea of disruptive glory. Disruptive glory can lay waste satanic landscapes. Disruptive glory can lay waste satanic landscapes. Yesterday, Rhonda sent me um, a, a, a video clip from uh, one of the Star Wars episodes. Forgive her for watching movies like that. But in that video clip, uh, there's this uh, blast of light that begins to sweep across the galaxy. It's like a wall of light. Eh? It's like a mushroom cloud or a tsunami wave. And as it comes forth, it just obliterates anything that should not stand in the way. 
and it's literally that sense. Disruptive glory can lay waste satanic landscapes like the aftermath of an at atomic explosion. You, uh, uh, one way to look at it is uh, from Exodus 14. Exodus 14. You, I mean, we, we really don't have fertile imaginations. If we, uh, actually, we do have fertile imaginations, but we don't have time to imagine what happens in the Old Testament. We go with what we saw Charlton Heston do in uh, Ten Commandments, and we just stay with that. But if you actually began to imagine what it looked like that day in Exodus 14, verse 19 to 28, you realize that this thing called disruptive glory can be absolutely disruptive to the enemy. I mean, the best way I can word, is, word it is, it lays waste satanic landscapes. When, when you read it, 14, uh, Exodus 14, 19 to 28, it says, Then the angel of the Lord, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them. Imagine this massive pillar of cloud, eh? You're talking about 600,000 people to a million that could see this cloud. This wasn't some small little wispy cloud. It was this huge pillar that would light up acres and acres of the desert. And you see this massive thing beginning to move. And you can imagine what the Egyptian army is thinking. The cloud is beginning to move and it ain't moving forward. It's moving towards us. And it begins to move. And as it begins to move, uh, it moves from the front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. <laughs> Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other side. I'm talking about darkness that is so dark that it must have been like the, when, when the earth was a chaotic mass. So dark that they can't see each other. And yet it's brilliant light to the Israelites. You cannot imagine the kind of fear that is ravaging one of the most powerful empires in the earth. One of the most occultic empires in the earth. Nothing, nothing, no Ra, no Pharaoh, no God can help them through this. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other side. So neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites went uh, uh, went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. Listen to the next bit. The Egyptians pursued them and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. I love the next line. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into a panic. Some say confusion, other versions say panic. He looked down from it. He made the wheels of the chariots come off so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hands. Stretch out your hand. Stretch out your hand. Stretch out your hand. Stretch out your hands over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and the horsemen. 
Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing towards it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back, covered the chariots and the horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. Guys, if you actually began to paint this, draw this, imagine this, you cannot imagine the landscape after it was all done. Fire that purifies is also a fire that exposes and consumes. I want to read an excerpt from the Hebrides revival. Duncan was assisting at a communion service. The atmosphere was heavy and preaching difficult. So he sent to Barvas for some of the men to come and assist in prayer. They prayed, but the spiritual bondage persisted. So much so that halfway through his address, Duncan stopped preaching. Just then he noticed this boy visibly moved under deep burden for souls. He thought, that boy is in touch with God and living nearer to the Savior than I am. So leaning over the pulpit, he said, Donald, will you lead us in prayer? The lad rose to his feet and in his prayer made reference to the fourth chapter of Revelation, which he had been reading that morning. And he said, O oh God, I seem to be gazing through the open door. I see the lamb in the midst of the throne with the keys of death and hell at his girdle. He began to sob. Then lifting his eyes towards heaven, he cried, O oh God, there is power there. Let it loose. With the force of a hurricane, the Spirit of God swept into the building, and the floodgates of heaven opened. The church resembled a battlefield. On one side, many were prostrated over the seats, weeping and sighing. On the other side, some were affected by throwing their arms in the air in a rigid posture. God had come. This is a fire that not just purifies. This is a fire that has the ability to consume. If you go to Malachi 3.5, you will see in Malachi 3.5 this idea of judgment upon those that pervert the ways of the Lord. Malachi chapter 3 verse 5. Malachi 3 verse 5. It says there, then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. You see the same thing happening in Acts chapter 13, verse 6 to 11. Acts chapter 13, 6 to 11. Acts chapter 13, 6 to 11. That this is a fire that can expose and consume. There is no way Satan can thwart a revival. He cannot thwart its advance. He can only distort it or discredit those involved in it. That's how he goes about it. But we've already prayed for that. Acts chapter 13, 6 to 11. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar Jesus. 
He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimas, the magician, for that was the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Anyone who perverts the ways of the Lord during a revival usually is dealt with by God. So let's exert authority in the places you have jurisdiction over because it's been given to you. Let's exert authority in places that you have been given jurisdiction over because it's been given to you. I know that Vancouver has been given to us. I know that Bahrain has been given to us. I know that the city of Kaunas in Lithuania has been given to us. If you're in Vernon, what has been given to you? What are some of the nations God has placed upon your heart and has already said to you, son, I've given you this nation. I'm just taking these three. I'm taking Vancouver, I'm taking Bahrain, and I'm taking the city called Kaunas in Lithuania. I know these have been given to us, given to me. These are within my jurisdiction. And so in the name of Jesus Christ, I come against every form of satanic counterfeit, satanic attack, satanic perversion that would stop this revival in Vancouver, in Bahrain, in Kaunas. And I say no. That there is a consuming fire that goes out from God. Psalm 18 is a brilliant psalm to read and understand. Consuming fire goes out of him. Arrows shoot out of him. For behold, he comes. And it undoes sorcerers. It undoes the occult. It undoes those that pervert the ways of God. It undoes those that make crooked the straight paths of God. It undoes those that stand before prison doors unwilling to let people go. I bind up the strong man in Vancouver. I bind up the strong man in Bahrain. I bind up the strong man in Kaunas and I plunder you. I strip you off your armor and that which you rely on. And I open wide prison doors and I say, come, come, you shall not be held back. Come out, come out into the light. Come out into the light. These are sons and daughters appointed to us from God. Come out into the light. This is just the beginning, Abba. Hallelujah. Let me end. After this, what happens after this? What happens after today? What happens after today? Where do we go from here? Go to Amos chapter 3, verse 7 and 8, to give us an idea of what has happened thus far, what God has been doing thus far. Amos chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. Amos 3, 7 and 8. 
This is what God has been doing. It just so happens that this time around, we are the servants he's choosing. Amos chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. For the Lord God does nothing. Let me read it from the message. Go to the message. Go to the message. Amos chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. The fact is, God the Master does nothing without first telling his prophets the whole story. I love it. I love the way it's worded in the message. The fact is, God, the master, does nothing without first telling his prophets the whole story. Verse 8, the lion has roared, who isn't frightened? God has spoken, what prophet can keep quiet? Beautiful, eh? The lion has roared, who isn't frightened? God has spoken, what prophet can keep quiet? Beautiful. How can you keep quiet about this, guys? I feel foolish when I tell people what God is doing. Because I think to myself, if it was some famous church, famous person who's saying this, it carries weight. Oh my God, how can you keep quiet? So after this, what happens? You know, there is a scripture in the New Testament that starts with after this. Um, and I'm going to read it to you. But before I read that scripture that says after this, we have to find out what preceded it. And what preceded it is in Revelations 1, verse 11. Revelations 1, verse 11. Revelations 1, verse 11. Revelations 1, verse 11. I'm reading from the NIV. And it says, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. To Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. That's what we've been doing. We've been recording these messages. We've been uh, putting on video what God is doing in our midst. We've been praying, declaring. And guys, whenever you sense it, direct people to watch these videos. These are not meant for us. These are meant for people around the world to be able to see what God is doing. In Revelations 1, Jesus tells John, write on a scroll. Here is telling us, good, you've recorded it. You've recorded it. Now send it to the seven churches. Send it to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Let people hear about this. And the strange thing is, guys, it is being live-streamed to North America, to South America. I'm talking about actually being watched. What, what, what an absurd time to do a revival, you thought? It is a perfect time. An audience we never had before. Skills that we didn't have. We used the first six months of COVID to hone our skills. We didn't pay our tech crew for the first six months. It's only now that they're earning the big bucks. But in the process, uh, 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 what we don't understand is just like God said, write this on a scroll, send it to the churches, the seven churches. It is being live streamed to North America. It is being watched in South America. It is being watched regularly in Australia. It is being watched in Asia. It is being watched in the Middle East. It is being watched in Europe. It is being watched in Africa. 
every live streaming is being watched. The voice has gone out. What goes out into the airwaves will continue. The ripple will continue. We give you praise, O oh brilliant God. We give you praise, O oh brilliant God. We give you praise, O oh brilliant God. When could anyone silence what you want to do, O oh God? The lion has roared. Who isn't frightened? God has spoken. How can it not be conveyed? I just marvel that you've covered every other place but the Antarctic and the Arctic and God knows what you're up to there. Maybe someone's watching there too. But nobody we know. You set us up. You set this thing up. And we marvel, Father. So, after this, how do we go about it? Go to Revelations 4, verse 1. Revelations 4, verse 1. <laughs> after this what will happen this is our only hope after this I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven and the voice I had heard first speaking to me like a trumpet said come up here and I'll show you what must take place after this it's our only hope it is our only hope oh God you started this you're opening a door in heaven and the voice that we've heard this far is the voice we'll continue to seek and listen to every day. And as we do, you will say, come up here and I'll show you what must take place after this. If someone asks me, I don't know. But if someone asks me, I'd say I know because I got Revelations 4.1. That the same God who's been faithful over the last seven days is saying, after this, look, and there before you is a door standing open in heaven. And the voice that you first heard is speaking again like a trumpet saying, come up here and I'll show you what must take place after this. We'll follow his footsteps, man. It's the only way to do this. There's no other way. At least I don't know any other way. Revelations 3.8 comes to mind. Hey, I know that you have little strength, but you've kept my word. and You've not denied my name. So behold, I place before you an open door. That's all we got going for us, eh? And what's this all that we got going for us? We got God. And an open door. So my prayer, guys, as we end these seven days, is uh, watch with me, yeah? Watch with me. Watch with me. This is not even for Acts 29, so it's not going to happen through one person, eh? So watch with me. Who do you think played the most important role in the Hebrides revival? Was it Peggy and Christine, the two old 80-year-olds? Was it Duncan Campbell, the one who preached? Was it the boy who lifted up his hands and said, are these hands clean? Is this heart pure? Was it the blacksmith who started striking the ground say, and saying, you said, you said you will pour water on dry ground. Where is that water? I dare you, oh God, you said, where is it? Was it the policeman who turned the lives of 300 people around, seven of whom became pillars in the church? Who was it that played the most important role? How do you pick, man? Watch with me. Yeah? So we thank you for seven of the most amazing days 
in our lives. It's been a riot of a. We want to sing that song, consuming fire as we end. Because we know there's more than this. See, there's no point prolonging something, right, Father? <laughs> for all you know, three days from now, you'll ask for another seven days. But the check crew's ready, Abba. So it's not a problem. So we're going <laughs> to sing that song right now. <laughs> and uh, we'll see where to go from there. We're very grateful and thankful for what you've done in our midst. It's just the beginning. It's not even chapter one, it's the preface. Come like a rushing 
for your heart it's a passion that is like your passion to burn for things that you burn for a passion to see sons and daughters come back to the father's house a passion to see lives lit up on fire for you knowing taking their place as your sons and daughters taking their place in the world as subjects in your kingdom, your kingdom that is here, your kingdom is here. Stir it up in our hearts, Lord, a passion that blazes with your passions. Because that's what it's been a week of, Father. You giving us an eye into your passions, what you're passionate about. Your people, one by one, one by one, 10 by 10, 100 by 100, 1,000 by 1,000. They are coming, Father. Stir it up in our hearts, a passion for each one of them. Yeah. 
hearts, Lord. Stir it up in our hearts, Lord. Stir it up in our hearts, a passion for your name. Stir it up in our hearts, Lord. Stir it up in our hearts, Lord. Stir it up in our hearts, a passion for your
even though in a even though in a sense we are concluding the service right now uh, or whatever you want to call this uh, we might just continue worshiping uh, so um, so I don't know what to say I don't know whether to say it's done or it's not done but uh, I think we are done and yet we'll just probably do a couple other songs so feel free to go or feel free to stay <laughs>